Isn't that fun? Anyways. Um, it is good to be with you this morning as we do kick off our new sermon series being the church for Battle Creek. And I'll get into a little bit more details about this sermon series in a few moments. But as we start, I really need to ask uh, a, a question um, that will help kick us off. So were any of you, I know, some, I know the answer for some of you, but were any of you in the band in middle school or in high school? In band? High school, middle school? A few of you? A few of you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> For those who weren't in the band, you may or may not know this, um, people would call us band members, I was in the band, um, would call us band members a specific word, specific phrase. And they thought they were being clever, and they thought they were being maybe mean or catching us off guard or whatever. Um, they would call us band geeks. That wasn't just a generational thing, right? Like, that was band geeks, everybody's kind of, all right. Right. So, and people would come up and be like, whatever, you know, the stereotypical, the jocks or the what, popular kids or whatever, and call us band geeks. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And you probably know this, maybe, I don't know. We called ourselves band geeks. So you weren't really doing what you think you were doing if you called us band geeks. And the reason we called ourselves that was because it was probably a well deserved title. Uh, I, I'm thinking specifically of my band experience. And this, was, this happened every year. I was in middle school and high school like clockwork. Every year, April Fool's Day, we'd get all excited and all giddy and we'd have this plan and pretend like our director hadn't been teaching us for the past 20 years and didn't know this was coming. But our director would get up to the, to the podium and grab his little baton, tap, 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 and like, you know, and we'd all pull up our instruments, get ready to play, but what he wasn't supposed to know was that we all had different sheet music. We weren't playing the same song, and so he'd start, you know, the downbeat of one, and we'd all just start playing random whatever it was. Some people played songs backwards, you know, from the end to the front, and, you know, and it'd be a, it'd just be a hodgepodge. Some would be, you know, classical, you know, symphony stuff. Some would be, like, soundtrack stuff. Sometimes people would pull out the summer marching band stuff. It was all over the place, and we thought we were being, you know, haha, gotcha on April Fool's, and we did this, like I said, every year, so um, the name Band Geek was, was probably well-deserved. Um, but the point <laughs> that I want to get out of that this morning is I actually was part of a really good band. Um, we, weren't, we didn't go to like, huge competitions and stuff, but we had some really talented musicians. Um, our director was, was fantastic. He was a wonderful teacher and, and, and made us better musicians. Um, but even as good as we were as a band, um, that April Fool's, when everybody was playing their own thing, playing their own sheet music, we sounded terrible. Um, it's not just about putting the most talented people together in the same room and giving them instruments in which they're good at, but understanding that the song we were going to play on, the purpose was to play together, right? That was the reason why we called ourselves a band. And so this morning we're, we're kicking off this sermon series um, at a really great starting point, the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost, and we'll kind of deal a little bit more about that uh, as we go on, but um, you've noticed that the, the colors on the platform have changed, which means we've changed into a different season. You know, uh, Chris does a great job of visually helping us represent the different seasons we've in. And the different seasons in the church calendar represent different parts of Jesus' story. 
You know, if you think back to December, we were in Advent waiting for baby Jesus. And then we had Christmas and baby Jesus showed up, right? And then we had Epiphany. What do we do with baby Jesus? (laughs) Then we had Lent. Well, this is hard to follow this Jesus guy. And then we had Good Friday, you know, the Holy Week following Jesus to the cross. And then Easter celebrating the resurrection of this Jesus. And then for the past few weeks, we've been talking about the relationship that Jesus has with his followers after the resurrection. What does it mean to be a, a Jesus follower after And one of the things that Jesus tells his followers after the resurrection was, you're going to go into the whole world and make disciples. And us church people, really, we've latched on to this, right? This is the Great Commission. Churches um, will latch on to this and say, this is our mission, to go into the world and make disciples. This church being one of those churches that have grabbed a hold of that. That's our mission. It's in, in the foyer there. Go make disciples in all the world. But one of the things that Jesus said to them After he told them, you're going to go into Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the world making disciples, he said, wait. You need to receive some power. You need the Spirit to come upon you. Wait. Don't go yet. And this thing that they've been waiting for, this moment, this, this, we've got the mission, but we, we don't have the power, we don't have the Spirit, that all changes on Pentecost. And so this sermon series follows these spirit-filled people. What happens when the waiting stops, when the spirit shows up, when the church is born? We'll follow these spirit-filled people on their mission to be the church through the book of Acts. So we can see and we can learn about the church on mission as the first, first church was on their mission. So we invite you uh, to turn to Acts chapter 2. It'll be on the screen. We're going to read verses 1 through 21. It's a big chunk of scripture, but I want you to get this big story. I will warn you ahead of time. There are some uh, names in this scripture that I'm going to mispronounce. Just letting you know ahead of time. I'm going to get them wrong. I'm not even going to be bothered by it either. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared on among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because Each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, That wasn't even close. Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. 
Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in these days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord for the people of... I get this wrong all the time. It's the word of God for the people of God, and our response should be, thanks be to God. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, uh, we are grateful for this word that you have shared with us this morning. This story of your followers gathered together receiving this promised spirit. Um, Father, may this story this morning not only be their story, but may it become our story. May we uh, continue to be and become your followers, filled with the spirit, called to mission that changes the world. Father, we thank you and love you. Amen. I know I say this about most scriptures that I preach from, uh, probably almost every week, but Acts chapter 2 is one of my favorite uh, chapters in the Bible. Um, there's so much going on here. Like in just in those 21, 22 verses um, that we read, we could do a whole sermon series just on Acts chapter 2. Um, we could talk about the sound that filled the room like a rushing wind. Um, that's one of my favorite things to talk about because the word spirit is the same word for breath or the same word for wind. And so like that's, we could spend a whole lot of time talking about that. Uh, we could talk about tongues of fire resting on people's heads. That would be fun. Um, the crowd of Jews that gathered, we could be talking about why they were gathered and what they were doing. Uh, we could talk about everyone speaking in their own languages and everyone hearing in their own languages. We could talk about the confusion and the chaos, what made some people think they were drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. We could talk about these bizarre signs in the sky, blood in the moon and the sun darkened and all of these very apocalyptic things. We could spend a lot of time talking about those. But today, I, I only want to focus on one um, specific element, maybe two, um, but they're connected if there is two of them. Um, and so I want us to look at verse... One of chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. So Pentecost was a thing before this day happened. So as the church, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and, and say that's Pentecost. But before that happened, Pentecost was already a thing. Uh, it was a Jewish uh, holiday, a Jewish feast day. Um, it was actually a harvest festival. So they would gather together to, to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. And it was the 50th day. That's the root word for 50 is the same root word for Pentecost. And that's where we get the word Pentecost. is Because it was the 50th day after Passover concluded. 50th day. And, and so these, these are significant because in Jewish culture, seven meant completion or perfection, right? And so seven days in a week 
seven weeks of seven days would be 49 days. So this is sometimes called the, the festival of weeks as well because it's a week of weeks, seven weeks of seven days to give 49 days. And the 50th day is the first day after the completion. So they celebrate. Like God's been at work. We've been doing God's work for 49 days. And on the 50th day, we celebrate. It's the next day. So then who was gathered? Well, he just says they were gathered. Scriptures don't go into a whole lot of detail. Um, Obviously, we had the followers of Jesus here. But obviously, as with the story progressed, there's more people involved. There was questions about, you know, all these different Jews from all over the world and speaking in different languages and then other people that accused them of being drunk. So it wasn't just the Jesus followers that were here. This being a Jewish festival, a big uh, feast uh, holiday, would have meant that Jews from all around the world would gather, come to Jerusalem to celebrate if they were able. If you're like me, for the longest time, I... thought that this happened in the upper room with the disciples closed off in the tiny thing. Like, that was how I interpreted this. That's honestly a way that it's been taught through much of Christian history, is that it was the disciples in the upper room still afraid. You know, if you go back to chapter 1 of Acts, that's the story. Jesus appears to them. They were hiding. But Acts chapter 1 tells us that happened the first 40 days after Passover. And the 50th day is Pentecost. So this was 10 days later. And Pentecost would have been reason for them to leave the the hidden upper room and go into the city and celebrate and worship. There's some scholars who actually um, wants to translate the word they were in the house where they were gathered to the house of God, like that might have been the temple where this all happened at. Um, But that's not necessarily all that specific, but I wanted to to paint a picture that this was not a small group of people hidden in a a room, but a a large, very social, very dynamic time in the life of uh, Jerusalem and religious life. So then we'll jump to to verse 16 and 17 and, and 18. It says, no, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel in the last days, it will be God It will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and all your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in these days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So what's going on here is this is Peter and he's interpreting what is happening around him. He's saying, no, they're not drunk. Let me help you understand what's going on here. He's saying what you're seeing is the words that the prophet Joel spoke. A long time ago, you're seeing that come true. You're under, he understood things through the Old Testament prophet Joel. He says in the last days, and we, we've been conditioned to think last days is like the last few days before this whole thing comes to an end, like before earth is done and we're hitting the eject button and we're out of here. But the way that the Jewish people understood that phrase, in the last days, meant like when the promises were all going to be fulfilled. In, in the age of God, where God has completed his work, in the last days where the work is finished. So Peter's connecting the event of Pentecost, this day of the Spirit coming. He's connecting that with fulfillment of God's promises. In these last days, these promises are coming true. God pours out the Spirit on those who have gathered, and they become what the nation of Israel was always intended to be. They're now equipped, every single one of them. That's the emphasis of the the tongues of fire on each and every one. Every single one of them is now equipped to fulfill the mission 
to which God has called his people all the way back, even going back to Abraham. So now they're equipped for this mission. And so the question becomes, what is that mission? What is it that they are now equipped to be and to do? This gathered group of people have had the Spirit poured out on them, indicating that they are the fulfillment of promises that God have made. He's empowering them all to prophesy, which is a fancy way of saying all to proclaim, to preach, to teach, to speak boldly the truths about God. They're all been empowered to see visions and dream dreams. And so what Peter is telling the crowd that was confused, he's saying they've all been given the gift to see what God is, is up to, to see what God is doing in the world and to share that out loud with others. Right? In Acts chapter 1, so just a, a page before, verse 8, Jesus tells his followers, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus told his followers, that that's what their mission was going to be. And so as we start this new sermon series and we're celebrating the Sunday of Pentecost, I think we can start to see the significance of this specific day in the life of the church. Why it's worth drawing attention to, why it's worth decorating a specific way and, and, and bringing attention to this, this day that the Spirit fills Jesus' followers. Pentecost created the first church. This day where the Spirit dwelled amongst and filled up these gathered believers, it created the first church, but it also calls all other churches to be something. It creates the standard. It creates the expectation. It gives us the mission. And this is what it is. The day of Pentecost reminds us that we are to be a community of believers declaring that Jesus is king with our actions and with our words. And I, I came up with this phrase as I was preparing for this sermon and I really, really liked it. So you're going to see this again, uh, probably a lot. Uh, but the church is a community of believers declaring that Jesus is king with our actions, and with our words. This gathered group of believers that had the Spirit poured into them isn't some random group of strangers. They were the first church being gathered in community, being sanctified, being made holy by the Spirit. And they were sent out into the world as witnesses for Jesus. What I believe as a pastor because of this um, there's a couple things that I, I take away because of what I see happening in Acts chapter 2. I believe that every follower of Jesus has the Spirit of God poured out on them, which transforms or sanctifies them for the work that God is calling them to do. I don't believe that a church comprised of Jesus' followers have some people that are gifted or receive the Spirit and others who haven't received the Spirit, who aren't called, who aren't gifted. There's a, a theme that runs through the Bible, and this is honestly, going back to my days as an undergrad student, this was one of the things that opened my eyes when I started studying the Scriptures, and I started to understand things that I had never seen before as a kid growing up in the church. There's this theme that runs from the beginning to the end. We first see these words specifically expressed in Exodus chapter 19 
The words of God is that I will make you a royal priesthood. I will make you a holy nation. It's a, it's a vocation. It's a calling. A royal priesthood. Priests of the king. Priests are people who, who stand before God on behalf of people. And stand before people on behalf of God. <laughs> they offer up prayer. They offer up blessings. They offer up forgiveness and bring mercy and grace and, and make that connection between. And God is telling his people, you are going to be priests. Not just you, Moses the person, but this whole nation. You're going to be a holy nation. And holy uh, means set apart. It means with a specific divine purpose. And so you're going to be these priests that have a specific divine purpose. And we see this as a promise in Exodus chapter 19. God tells his people, you will be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But my favorite part of this is if you're in 1 Peter chapter 2, you hear those same words of God, except he says, you are a royal nation. You are a holy priesthood. I mixed up those phrases. You are a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Um, the fulfillment of those promises is being declared to the people of the church. You have become what God intended us. And there's thousands of years of human history between there. And Israel got it way wrong <laughs> through a lot of that. And it required Jesus himself showing up in person to make that promise come true. But from the beginning of the Bible to, to the end, this is the story of God's people. And so one of the things that uh, it's been uh, September now, that uh, since September, I stood up here with my family, and uh, Dr. Woody Stevens, our interim DS at the time, stood up here and introduced us and asked me some questions and asked me to make some promises about what I was going to do. And one of the things that DSs charge, district superintendents charge pastors to do when they're installed, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It comes out of Ephesians chapter 4. And I take that very seriously. This is a big part of how I view my job description. Um, Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And so for me, success isn't just more people in the seats, but a church that is collectively being faithful to this mission that we've been given. I said last week that a, a church of 20 that was being faithful to that mission is going to have a greater impact and be a better revelation of what Jesus is to the world than a church of 2,000 that just gathered together and went on their way as individuals. But again, the goal of the church is to be a community of believers declaring that Jesus is king with our actions and our words. And so when God pours out the Spirit, it transforms Jesus' followers and it calls us to participate in the mission of God. God is not dividing the ministry of the church up into tiny pieces and sending us all in a bunch of different directions. Sometimes we may get that impression that that's what church is. We all from the very beginning, church was a gathered community of people who confessed their faith in Jesus, who were shaped into a people that participated in God's mission. And that mission was calling all people, all nations, all of creation back to God through Jesus, under the rule, under the authority of Jesus. The Apostle Paul describes this gathering, this, this putting together, this, this reconciliation of all things back to God. He he calls this becoming part of this community. He, he calls it being grafted in. 
He calls it being adopted as children of God or being part of the body of Christ. Baptism in the, in the Bible, baptism in Jesus' name was always a confession of faith that led to becoming part of a community of believers. It was a joining, it was a, uh, an adopting, a merging of identities in together. So nowhere in Scripture, I mean, I mean you can look, I haven't found it, but uh, nowhere in Scripture that I've seen can you find that being part of a church means doing things alone, being an individual effort but rather it is always participating in a community that shapes you into the image of Jesus. It's a community that you participate in and it equips you for the work of the ministry. It's participating in a community that supports you as you embrace that calling. And I want you to hear this. I've got a, a slide, I think. Um, maybe we got the next one. Yeah. And this is just the truth that I want you to grab a hold of today. The Holy Spirit is not sent to provide individuals a way to achieve their own goals, but rather to empower a community of believers, a church, to participate in God's mission of making all things new. The Holy Spirit isn't sent to you. You aren't filled up. These early Christians in Acts chapter 2, they weren't filled up so that they had special abilities and they could go off and do their own thing, but it was as they were gathered that God poured out his Spirit into them so that together they could be faithful to this mission. There are times where I wish you could all be a pastor for like a week or so, for a little while. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple different reasons behind that, but for the one I'm going to talk about today is so that you can see church from a pastor's perspective. I'm going to mention a few observations about church, and some of these may be true of ours. Some of this may just be true of church in general. I'm not trying to criticize, not trying to step on toes. I might, but that's not the intention. Just to talk about the reality of church these days, some things I've seen. Um, at times, church can have a lack of a unified mission. And what results is people defining their own mission and their own work. What happens with that is then there's conflicts and broken relationships where each individual's missions runs into each other. Right? We're competing for resources, attention, time, for people, priorities, and it can create conflict. Uh, it can create um, a problem where those serving or those leading ministries are tired, stressed, burnt out, because while they loved what they were doing and were called to do, they felt alone in that work that they were doing. Uh, it can sometimes happen that it would be a struggle to invite new people to get involved or to develop uh, intentionally to develop a group of volunteers or even the next generations of leaders because we're not intentionally equipping and empowering others. There are areas of ministry that sometimes could be working together, but because we uh, are divided or we don't have a unified mission, we, we don't see how we could work together. We see, again, competition instead of a partnership. And so as a, as a pastor, like I said, I'm not trying to criticize. I'm not, I'm not even saying that many of those apply here. I mean, you probably have a better uh, understanding of maybe some of those things at Battle Creek First Church than I do if you've been attending here for a while. Um, 
But as a pastor, I've made it my goal to help shape church culture away from being a bunch of individuals moving in different directions and, and help shape us into a church that works together, that makes room for people to explore what God is calling them to do and that understands the singular mission that God has called us to have that God has given us as a church. And so the job of ministry leaders, the way that I see it, isn't to do all the ministry. And and I'm grateful for that that's not an issue here. (laughs) That's not the attitude that our church has. But the job of ministry leaders is to invite, equip, encourage, and celebrate others who say yes to God. Who say yes to participation in that mission that God has given us. I believe that every follower of Jesus has the Spirit of God poured out on them. It transforms and sanctifies them for the work that God is calling them to do. God is up to something in the life of this church. I believe that. And I believe that if you're a part of this church, if you're somebody who's even said yes to God for a moment or said, hey, I think this Jesus guy is is up to something. I'm going to follow him for a little bit. God is up to something in the life of this church. And as such, God is at work in many of your lives, equipping you, stirring, maybe pulling up some roots, <laughs> maybe uh, giving you new passions, new, new ideas, new goals, calling you to a deeper relationship. Maybe God is calling you out of a sin that is distracting you or preventing you from taking that next step. God is doing all these things in the life of this church so that you can participate fully in the mission that God has given us as a church. Again, the Holy Spirit is not sent to provide individuals a way to achieve their own goals. It's not a superpower that makes us the best at our own individual goals, but it empowers us as a community of believers, as a church, to participate in God's mission of making all things new. God does not only sanctify us as individuals, but God makes us a holy community set apart for his purpose to reveal the good news through our lived lives together. So the invitation today is to use the gifts that God has given you as part of this community of believers to be faithful to the mission that God has called us to. And you might be wondering, well, what if I don't know what I'm called to do? What if I don't know what my gifts are? What if I've never really thought about church as something that I participate in, but rather as something that I attend? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is where this new sermon series kicks in for the next few weeks. Being the church for Battle Creek. That's our new sermon series, in which we will follow the events of the early church through the book of Acts, as it is the gathered equipped, called people of God. We will hear the messages that they preached. We will see the challenges that they faced. We will see how this identity as the gathered people of God, how it changed them. And we will see how God was at work through all of it. The book of Acts is a study of holy people on a holy mission. The call for us as church today is to be a holy people participating in that same holy mission. And the truth that I want you to hear today is that you don't have to do it alone. 
the sermon title or the series title is being the church for Battle Creek. And that doesn't mean that like our goal is to be the only church. It's like being the church for Battle Creek. Like all the other ones are competition, right? Um, but it's being the church is the first part, right? We're going to look at the, peop- the, the people in the book of Acts and say, well, this is the church. How do we be like them? What does that mean to be the church? And we're going to do it for Battle Creek and the communities around us. Why? Because that's the mission God has called us to. You have to have both parts. A church without a mission becomes a social gathering of people. Pious people even. (laughs) A mission without the holy church becomes activism. We're off doing good things. We're on a mission, right? It becomes activism alone though. We're doing it in our own strengths. We're doing it according to our own desires. We're setting our own priorities. It just becomes individual activism. Somebody once said that mission without the church is like trying to create the kingdom of God without Jesus. thought that was a pretty bold way of saying it. As a church, we will help each other say yes to what God is calling us to do. We will help you to be a part of this community of faith in such a way that you experience God's equipping and calling in your life. And if you're somebody that's like, I, I've known my calling for years. I have served in church for years. I, my, my gifting isn't going to change. I'm not going to start anything new today. Then maybe the calling on your life is to help that next generation find their calling, their gift. Equip and support and encourage them. If this sounds like the start of something new today, like we are launching something new right now, like this is some big like uh, pastor dream type of thing, it, it kind of is. Um, it definitely is. But as you ask God to show you or to clarify your callings and gifts, don't be surprised if the response you get is simply to participate as in, in something that's already going on here at the church. The hope and expectation that having a clarified mission will bring deeper purpose to the activities that we've already been doing all along. That as we seek out our purpose and mission, that we can continue to do the same things with the same tools and the same resources that we've always done them with, but, but their holy purpose is underneath them and behind them. So I don't expect a radical transformation. Like, I mean, it would be awesome if you... I was praying this week and God told me we're going to do this thing. Like, that would be amazing. Um, but oftentimes, the faithful obedience of a church to Jesus looks like it's always looked. And there are some new opportunities coming along as well. We're working on putting together an outbound communion team to take communion to people who can't come and gather with us. Uh, you know, today we're launching a, a young adults uh, connect group. Um, one of the things I haven't mentioned in public yet, so this is a, a reveal of some sort, I guess, is pizza with the pastors, um, in which uh, we'll eat pizza with the pastors. Um, there's more to it than that, but this is something that, that's, that's coming along that will be a, uh, I'm really looking forward to it, not just because of the pizza, um, but because it'll put pastors in a, in a small room, not a real small room, but a room together with a small group of people and be able to look across a table and share a meal and talk about what it means to be part of the church. What does it mean to be part of the Church of the Nazarene? What does it mean to be part of First Church here in Battle Creek? 
And for some, if I introduced myself to you this morning because I haven't recognized you without a mask on, I'm really just looking forward to sit across the table from some of y'all and spend some time. I've been pastor here since September, and I haven't been able to do a lot of that relational stuff. But this is where we're going to be for the next several weeks, following the earliest church as it takes the gospel into Jerusalem into Judea, into all the world, as these earliest Christians made disciples of all nations because they received the Holy Spirit. This has profound truth and importance for us to today. Um, so if you came today, you came on a great Sunday. It's the kickoff of a, of a big thing. I'm going to pray, and uh, the worship team will come and lead us in one more song as a time of response a time of worship. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are, we are blessed to have received the same promise. Father, there's a story that, that arches through all of human history, all of, all of history, the history of creation. You have been at work calling and redeeming your creation that went wayward, calling it back to yourself. And you have been at work for a long, long time, gathering people to yourself, teaching us how to be your children, teaching us how to live as you intended us to live. Father, and it is humbling to be caught up in that story. These disciples long ago were were gathered together and a wind blew and there was tongues of fire on their head and they received that Holy Spirit. And we look at that story and go, that is amazing. That is incredible. What a crazy, miraculous thing. And I think we miss that that same thing has happened to us. Maybe without the fanfare, I don't remember seeing flames of tongues on my head. I don't remember hearing a rushing wind. But it was the spirit that mattered there. And you have given us that spirit. You have filled this church with that same spirit. And so as we watch your first church go be bold witnesses, declaring that Jesus was king with their actions and with their words, may you give us that same boldness as first church to declare Jesus is king with our actions and with our words. We love you. Amen.